So I'm going to be continuing with the parables of Jesus. Um, first, I would like to ask anybody that would to pray for my grandma. She's sick and they found some tumors and I want God to be involved every step of the way. Um, the parable that I want to cover this time is one that pretty much everybody is familiar with. I, I talked about the prodigal son being one of the most famous parables Jesus told, and I believe that this one is either more popular or at least a close second. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's in Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. It's also found in Matthew 22, 34 through 40 and Mark 12, 28 through 31. Um, I'm going to be reading the one from Luke. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And some context to this story um, is important to understand the full grasp of what Jesus is trying to say. In Jesus' time, and to some extent today, and even before this, the Samaritans were, they had a Jewish lineage, but they were not considered to be Jewish people. They were separate, they were a mixture between Jewish people and Gentiles. Basically, the people of Jesus' day, the Pharisees would have looked upon them with disgust. For one thing, they had a completely different idea of not only where the temple should be located and where God should be worshipped from, but they had a completely different understanding of the history of Judaism. They have a completely different Torah. Um, they believe that it's a completely different mountain in which to worship God on, and that's uh, referenced in the story in the Bible when Jesus talks to the woman at the well, she was asking him which mountain was correct, in which Jesus says that it's not on either mountain, it's in spirit and truth that we should worship God. And basically, they were looked down upon. They were the enemy of the Jewish people. They were heretics, basically. And not only that, but they were impure because they had gentile dna basically the origin of the samaritans is after the assyrians had taken the jewish people and moved them during the uh exile they 
ended up in a different place and afterwards they the ones that were the Samaritans were left behind they were basically the remnants of the Jewish people that were left in Israel or Samaria and basically when the Jewish people returned they found these people who had already intermarried with Gentile people, people who were impure, so they were looked at with disgust. And at this time in Jesus' ministry, Jesus is trying to let them know something, to not only remind them of what it means to follow the law, but what the purpose behind following the law is. And Jesus, when he is talking to these experts in the law, they would recognize every single reference that he made. And the places where Jesus draws them to look would have been significant as well. And the fact that in this parable at the end, when Jesus asks the uh, expert in the law, which one was the neighbor... And he responds with the one who had mercy on him instead of saying the Samaritan. It's a lot of scholars believe that he could not bring himself to admit that a Samaritan did the right thing. When we think of a good Samaritan, we reference this parable, but we think of a Samaritan as somebody who's helpful. When in all actuality, what Jesus was trying to show was that it was not the person that you would expect to help the person. The one who was their enemy was the true hero in this story. The one that they would have least expected to do the right thing. And he draws the contrast between those who should have been the utmost example of doing the right thing, the priest and the Levite. Levites are dis they're descendants of those who are in the priesthood. So Levites are also part of that hierarchy. They're in with the priests. And those should have been the first people that went out to do God's work. The problem is, is a lot of times that by this point, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, have distorted the law to the point where they're not doing it for the reasons that they are supposed to be doing it. They're doing it because it's tradition. They're doing it because it's ingrained in their culture. They're doing it because it's something that gives them status and it gives them the appearance of doing good. So by the time Jesus is talking to them, they have a law that they have taken from the Bible, from the Torah, and extended it out past anything that the Bible explicitly stated. A lot of uh, Orthodox Jewish people, even today, will have two kitchens in their house, one for meat, one for dairy, because in the Bible it says that you're not supposed to boil uh, an animal in the milk of its mother. So they took that to believe, to, to mean that you couldn't have milk and meat at the same time. So they've extrapolated something that God said into something that would stop them from inadvertently making a sinful mistake. But what happens is they lose the heart of the reasons that they're doing these things. When Jesus is talking about these uh, references to the law, he's not saying that the law is bad, but what he's saying is that the heart behind the law is no longer in existence. These people aren't worshiping God because they love him. They're worshiping God because they're following the law. A truly upright person doesn't follow the law just because it's the law. They do it because they have an admiration for justice. They do it because they have a love for their neighbors. And that's what Jesus is trying to say in this uh, parable in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. 
He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What Jesus is saying is that they've taken the law and turned it into something that's not, that doesn't hold true to what God was trying to say. And in doing this, he's drawing them to the books that the law is written in, such as Leviticus and even in Deuteronomy. He's making them mentally go back to the law that they are supposed to be following. He makes them go into their mental database to recollect what they know about Scripture so that he can teach them the ultimate point behind what they're supposed to be practicing. And in doing this, most of these people, all of the Levites and the priests, they would have had the Torah memorized. They would have known all of these laws. They would have been able to recite them offhand. And they would have been able to even note the tiniest of places. That's why he is able to take the entire law and bracket it into a statement that Jesus actually himself uses to describe following the law. But what they missed were certain things in the law that they kind of gleaned over. One of them is in Leviticus, where it says, The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, it says, When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner and the, the fatherless and the widow. And in doing this, you're basically doing the things that God requires. God wants us to love one another, but he doesn't... He doesn't want us to follow rules for the sake of following rules. He wants us to do it because we love him. He wants the love that we show for others to overflow from our love for our father, God. And what they were doing was they were so afraid of making God mad. They were so afraid of, afraid of incurring his wrath. It was out of a fear, not a holy, godly fear, a uh, reverential fear, but a terrified, scared fear of doing the wrong thing. When you are more scared of doing the wrong thing than you are loving of the right things, you enter a dangerous territory where you start to embrace legalism. If you are doing what God requires, if you love your neighbor as yourself, if you love God with all of your heart, all of these things will come afterward. A lot of times people think that they have to get their lives right before they can accept Jesus. A lot of people think that they have to change the way that they live before they can ever enter into the church doors. But what they're doing is embracing this kind of legalism that the Pharisees did. They think that it's all in the actions that we're saved. It's all in the things we do that bring us closer to God, but it's not. It's coming to God and everything else follows. I, since I've been saved, there are things that I don't do anymore. And I don't do them anymore, not because I know that they're wrong, which I do. Not because I know that they are sinful, which I do, but because I love God enough and he saved me from enough that it is a not a duty but an honor to get rid of these things that are standing in my way. And once you embrace God and his love, once you realize that there are deeper depths than you've probed from the time that you accepted him, 
it's easy to get rid of the things that are holding you back. Paul references this a lot in all of his writings where we have this flesh, this nature that binds us, that holds us down, and it's stopping us from achieving the fullest potential of our love with God. And it's not the fact that we have to do actions for God to love us. God loves us regardless, but our love for God starts to dwindle when we put things in the way of him. When we start to put things on a pedestal that don't belong there, when we start to look at the actions instead of the reason behind the actions, we start to embrace a certain legalism as our God instead of trusting in God himself. And this was something that Jesus spoke very adamantly against. He spoke very strongly in regards to the people that were embracing this works-based mentality. In James, it says that faith without works is dead. The works have to happen, but it's not out of a, a stressful duty. It's not out of a, a work-based, uh, if I do this, I'll get rewarded. It's out of a love for God, such a love for God that we are willing to put ourselves aside so that we can fully enjoy his presence. That we are willing to give up our sinfulness in order to bask in his holiness. And this is what Jesus was trying to tell them all along, was that you got all the words right. He was able to sum up the law in a paragraph. If you're teaching something and you understand it, you're able to present it in a simple way. He was able to do that, which meant that he understood the law, but he didn't understand the heart behind the law. He wasn't embracing it because he loved God. He wasn't embracing it because his heart was right. He was embracing it because that's what he was taught from the time he was a kid. From the time that he was born, he was raised as a Levite to become a priest. His whole life revolved around him becoming a teacher of the law. And sometimes teachers can get so wrapped up in what they're saying that they forget the reasoning behind these things. And then in those cases, they become stuffy, they become arrogant, they become they separate themselves from everybody else. They start to feel superior. And this is what happened with these teachers of the law. They brought themselves to such a place that they started exalting themselves higher than God. They started to follow the law just so that they look good for everybody else. They started to take all these things and add that to their identity. They started to take the Sabbath, for example, the Sabbath was a day of rest. God wanted us to rest on that day. God didn't want any work to be done on that day. And this is something else that Jesus uh, talks to them about in another part of the Bible when Jesus is healing somebody on the Sabbath. He asks them whether it's wrong to do good on the Sabbath, even though you're working. What is more important? Is it the rest? Is it doing all the right things? Or is it doing what God wants us to do all the time? If the police department, if EMS, if all of these different organizations took Sunday off, it would be devastating. If they took one day off a week, where nobody was able to respond to a single distress call, it would be absolute chaos. They would be in a place where nobody would go out on the Sabbath day, but it would be because they were so fearful that something might happen and nobody would be able to help them that they would just keep to themselves. 
protect themselves, put themselves in a bubble. And this is something that is contradictory to what God would really want. It might fit the law to a T, but it doesn't fit God's nature. It doesn't fit God's character. And Jesus references this numerous times that the Pharisees held the Sabbath to such a high regard they held it to such a high standard that they turned it from a day of rest into the day that they did the most work. While they were condemning all the people that were working on that day, the people that were begging in the streets that day, the people that needed help that day, Jesus healing people on that day, people receiving salvation on that day, they were ridiculing them. But at the same time, they were heaping so many rules, so many laws, so many strict adherence guidelines that they were working harder on the Sabbath than they were any other day of the week. Because they were doing it out of labor. They weren't doing it out of love. The fact that they thought that when Jesus healed a man who had never walked a day in his life and Jesus told him to carry his mat and walk, that was the single most important day of that man's life, I guarantee. He probably picked that mat up and carried it around with him that entire day because he was so glad to be able to do it finally. Something he had never been able to do. But the Pharisees ridiculed him for doing something on the Sabbath day, for carrying the mat that held his body in place to beg in the streets for his entire life. He was ridiculed for it by the Pharisees. But only that man and Jesus knew how big of a miracle that action was. Whether it was on Saturday, whether it was on Sunday, no matter what day of the week it was, it was a miracle. It was a good thing, and it came from God. And in these moments, we can think of a million excuses why uh, the priest and the Levite would pass by the man in the story. In the parable, it talks about the path that the man took when he was attacked by robbers and Scholars say that it is a very dangerous stretch of road. There's a lot of places to hide. There's a lot of places for people to prowl and take advantage. It's also a very busy place. So if something were to happen, they can blend into the crowd and escape unnoticed. But if a man is laying there bleeding and dying, that's something people would notice. That's something that if you saw it, it would be devastating, right? You would freak out, you would call the police, you would do something. Yet, the priest and the Levite walked by and paid no mind. And you could say, if you were a Pharisee, most likely what they would think is, well, they're busy people. They're very busy. Not only that, but it would have made them unclean to touch this man. Because for all they knew, he could have been dead. It said that he was near death. So maybe they thought that he was dead and they didn't want to go near the body because it would make them ritually unclean. Well, if they hadn't just passed by on the opposite side of the road, if they would have taken a notice and seen it because basically just being in the presence of a corpse would have made them ritually unclean. So it doesn't matter the proximity to the body, whether they were on the same side of the road or the opposite side of the road, they still would have been ritually unclean according to the law. So if they would have seen that he was alive, they would have been able to help him. Now, if it was on the Sabbath day, they probably still would have passed by, and it very well could have been because they were probably on their way to the temple. 
And Jesus is trying to show that these men let something else get in the way, some part of the law get in the way of them reaching out and loving their neighbor for helping them out. And a lot of times Christians get into this uh, habit. There's several stories in that have been in the news where a there was one a few years ago where a man who, who was homeless in New York City saw another man chasing a woman, a young woman, down the road. So she seemed like she was afraid. He jumped in and tried to stop the man from catching up with the woman. Well, the man then took a knife and stabbed the homeless man in the chest a bunch of times. And the woman was able to get away. Afterward, the homeless man started to chase after the man that stabbed him to stop him so that the police could come and intervene. But instead, he fell down and collapsed in the street because he had lost too much blood. And because he was homeless, even though he was laying in the middle of the road where it was busy, even though he was where people could see him, even though people witnessed this event happen, they had it on a security camera, nobody stopped to do anything for three hours. He laid there, bleeding, and dying for three hours while people passed by him. One person kicked him, rolled him over twice, saw that he was bleeding and walked away. Another person pulled out their phone, but not to call 911, to take a picture of his body and then walked away. And there are other cases where this has happened. There was a 15-year-old girl that was beat up by a bunch of teenagers. People saw it in broad daylight. There was three security guards right there that watched the whole event take place, and not one of them called the police. Not one of them offered to do anything. There was a study done at a seminary where they told groups of people that a certain percentage of them had to deliver a report on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Some of them had to just deliver a generic report, and some of them weren't really told what they were supposed to report on, just that they would be taught on their oral skills. Some of them were told that they had to be there promptly. Some of them were told they were already late. Some of them were told that they had five minutes to get across campus to do this. In this uh, study, they had a man dressed like he was homeless, and it was in the dead of winter, and he wasn't dressed for the cold. They had him shivering in a corner, and it was a corner where they all would have had to go through in order to get to the destination that they were going to. Well, only a small percentage of these people, even though some of them were doing a report on this very parable, walked right past him. In fact, the good majority of the people did not even look his way. The people that did do something, the majority of those people which was the smallest portion of the entire group, the only time that that actually did something is when they got to the next building, they told somebody else about it. One person gave him a jacket. And these stories are all over the place. They're... We have a tendency to walk past people because we look down on them. And it's sad to be in a country that calls itself a Christian nation. We have the idea that some 
of what the Good Samaritan is. It's the most popular parable that Jesus ever told. And we still miss the point. And it breaks my heart to know that there's people who profess Jesus with their mouth and not with their heart. They let things get in the way of what Jesus said. Sometimes they even take... These were people in a seminary. Their whole college life was dedicated to sharing the gospel. But they allowed the gospel, the learning of the Bible... The law, the words, to stop them from doing what Jesus actually taught. To love God, love your neighbors, and fulfill the law. So, in doing these things that we're told we're supposed to do, sometimes we miss the point of why we're doing it in the first place. Other things get in the way. Sometimes we're busy. Maybe they figured this is a busy enough street. I'm too busy to stop. Somebody has to be able to help this person. Sometimes we pass it off to the next guy because we feel like we can't do anything. We feel like we're unable to help. Sometimes we have this helplessness that, yeah, I know he's homeless. I know he's hurting, I know he's depressed, I know this, I know that, but I just don't have the tool. Somebody else does. Yeah, that guy's asking me for money. I don't have a lot of money, but somebody else does. Surely they'll give him some money. And we take this ideology and we let ourselves off the hook. It says in this parable that he was trying to take the words and asked, who is my neighbor, so that he could justify himself. And we do this all the time. There's been times where, sadly, even I have neglected things that God has called me to do because I just felt like I didn't have enough time. There were things that I just felt like I couldn't handle at the time. Things that I couldn't grasp. So I just ignored it completely, and I have reaped the reward for those things. There's nothing like having a heart to help somebody, know that you could have helped them, and not do it. It's painful. It hurts. I remember one time when I was in high school, This I wasn't even a Christian then, but there was a girl who had a walker, and she was trying to get into her class. Uh, I was running late, and my class was still on the opposite side of the hall. And I saw her as she was struggling to open the door, and she looked at me, asking me for help. And since I was in a hurry... Since I didn't have time, I didn't stop and help. And that has hurt me from the day that it happened to now. I've been out of high school for quite some time. I'm 33 now. And it still affects me. To know that I could have helped somebody, and I didn't. And I think that a lot of us can kind of relate to that. I think a lot of people can relate to situations where we know that we could have done better. We know that we could have helped. If you still feel that, just know it's because that is what the purpose of the law is. It's supposed to be... It's supposed to drive us to love. It's supposed to drive us to love God, to love our neighbors. 
it's supposed to drive us towards relationship with our Heavenly Father and our brothers and sisters. When we neglect those that God has put in our care, when we neglect those who are hurting around us, when we see injustice happen and we turn the other way, this is when we're in a dangerous place. This is when we become legalists. This is when we stop becoming Christians and start becoming Pharisees. And I'm in no, no way perfect. There are times where I fail miserably at being a brother or sister in Christ. There are times when I fail miserably to do something for my brother or sister because I let something else get in the way. And when I don't love my brother or my sister, when I don't love somebody who has hurt me, if I don't love somebody who has been placed in my life, not just in an impactful way, but anybody that is in my path, if I neglect them for even a second, I'm simply betraying my love for God. Because God says that if I don't have love for them, how could I have love for Him? If I see my brother hurting, if I see my sister hurting, and I don't do anything because I just don't care, or I just have something else going on, how could I say that I love a God that I can't see? If I see injustice happening and I don't say something about it, how can I say that I love God? If I see people hurting and struggling, when Jesus said that if we help one of them, we are helping him, how can I claim to help Jesus, to be there and love Jesus if I don't help one of those he's placed in my care? And this is something that has especially weighed heavy on my heart is when you're faced with something in your life where you have to look at the finality of it, when you have to look at uh, mortality, when you have to think of, in terms of one day somebody that you know may not be there anymore. I've had, uh, you know, I've, I mentioned about my grandma being sick. You have to weigh our... Uh, when you come to into contact with this kind of uh, sicknesses, you have to realize that you're mortal. You have to come to grips with the fact that nothing lasts forever on this earth. Nothing fleshly, nothing uh, earthly lasts forever. It's one day going to be gone. And oftentimes, in retrospect, those times come faster than you think. And I want there to be more good that I've done. I want there to be more things that I'm happy of, that I've done than things that I'm sorrowful for not doing. I want to know that I loved people to the best of my ability because I loved God with all of my heart. I want to know that somebody has been impacted positively by my life as opposed to negatively. I want more people to look at me and know that I helped them instead of looking at me and knowing that I turned my back. Because ultimately, if I'm going to preach Christ but not live the way that he called me to, then all I'm preaching is emptiness. All I'm doing is going through the motions. All I'm doing is saying the words without any impact behind them. And I don't want to live that way. And if I could help anybody else 
to maybe you've been caught in a, a, a situation where you know you could have helped, you could have reached out, or maybe there's something going on where you could reach out now and you didn't really think that you had the power to. But if you feel like it hurts you to turn your back instead of reaching out, then it probably is something that you can help with. And I know in my life, one of the things that is hard for me is uh, talking to people, is one-on-one um, -on -one time, making a phone call to my family, sending a text message to my family. It's something that I, I neglect, not intentionally, but something that I unintentionally neglect because of my nature. And it's something that I really need to work on. And knowing that I need to work on it, I set things in motion to uh, remind myself, to help myself to remember. Because just like I've been learning this past year, uh, there have been a couple of ladies at my work that have gone through really tragic deaths in their families. And... Uh, just seeing how people are, uh, one minute they're there, one minute they're not, the time is just so fleeting. It's too short to just pass by on the other side of the road. It's too short to just say somebody else might help them. Because I know from experience that sometimes... It's not even the accident. It's not even the uh, sickness. Sometimes people are hurting inside and nobody's there to comfort them. Sometimes all they need is somebody to talk to them. Sometimes all they need is encouragement. Sometimes all they need is some to know that somebody cares. To know that somebody thinks that they are a human being. I try to live my life in a way that I don't want anybody to think that I don't care. They may talk to me. I may not understand what they're talking about. I may not particularly have an interest in what they're talking about, but I know that they have an interest in what they're telling me. There's a reason they're telling it to me. So I listen intently. Sometimes I learn something. Sometimes I wasn't interested when I started, but then I'm interested at the end. And it builds my life as much as it builds theirs. Sometimes all people want is for, for somebody else to listen. To treat them like a human being. To understand that we all share the same flesh. We all share the same struggle. We all share this earth. Not one of us is in a position higher than the other. It's like being on the Titanic and trying to switch seats. The entire thing is going down anyway. We will all end up in the same end. The only thing that we can change is where we go from here. And we're not going to get that way by just following empty rules. We're not going to get that way by passing by our neighbor. The only way that we can truly come to a place where we're doing God's will is if we love him with all of our heart, with all of our minds, with all of our strength. Everything that we have, we love God with those things. We have brains. Focus your minds on studying his word, your heart on loving your neighbors, because all of these things are what it's about. When the New Testament is extremely thorough in explaining that the older sacrifices, the sacrificial system of Israel, was a prelude 
to what we would experience in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, that they were just a shadow of things to come, a shadow of things that are beyond us, a shadow of things that were unknown to the people that were living in the time. And when we embrace that idea, when we know that what we've experienced now is still just a small taste of what we'll experience, then the more closely we can bring ourselves to this perfection that Jesus calls it of our Heavenly Father, the closer we are to knowing His nature, the closer we are to being able to understand His nature. Being married, uh, one of the things that I have to do is I learn more about my wife every day. I do, I talk to her. I try to understand who she is. And day by day, the more time I spend with her, the more I learn about her nature. And in doing so, the more I fall in love with her. And the same is true with God. The more we start to do the things that he calls us to do, the more we start to unpack the reasoning behind these things, the closer we get to understanding who God really is. When we get to realize what Jesus was telling us about God was for our benefit to give us a taste of what it's like to live in the kind of harmony that Jesus had with God. The fact that Jesus could go anywhere, pray to God, and God and him would talk and have a communion together. That's something that Jesus wants for all of us. He wants us to be able to reach up our empty hands and receive from God. He wants us to be able to lift up our broken hearts to God and have them be restored. He wants us to be able to have a relationship with him that we can continue to build on. He wants us to learn more about God every day, just like we would in our personal human relationships, especially marriage and friendships. And I'm grateful for every time that God gives me to learn a little bit more about him. The time that I study to uh, do these sermons is extremely enriching to my life. It's something that I enjoy. It's something that gives me satisfaction. It gives me a deeper sense of understanding of who God is, especially since I don't read Hebrew or Greek. It brings me a little bit closer to that taste of what God's really like when I can see the little nuances and stuff that are in the Bible that escape my mind because of when I was born, the fact that I don't speak Greek or Hebrew, the fact that I wasn't raised Jewish, all these things are, it's enriching to know where they come from. It's enriching to know what the point is behind what Jesus is saying because it brings me closer to him. But at the end of the day, I can also take this study time and use it just to affect my mind. I can just add knowledge, but not gain understanding, wisdom, or closeness with God. Some people read the Bible their whole lives, but they never break through the surface. They never get past the words. They never, they know, they can quote scripture from front to back, but they couldn't tell you what it means. They couldn't tell you what it's like to love a brother or sister. They couldn't tell you what it's like to reach out their hands to the widow or the fatherless or the downtrodden. There are lots of people that quote the Bible very loudly and very publicly, but they don't break through to the heart of what the message is saying. And a lot of times... That's what's important. Every time that's what's important. But a lot of times, if you miss out on that, you are not preaching the gospel. You're preaching 
something completely opposite to that. And I want to continue to live my life in a way that is pleasing to God. I hope that every day that I live is pleasing to God. There's times where I'm going to mess up. There's times where we all mess up. But I want those times to be fewer and far between because knowing that any day could be our last, I want to end my life on a note that is going to let people know who Jesus is. Not who I am, but who Jesus is. My ultimate goal in life is to let people know of the saving grace that brought me from the depths of despair to joy and contentment and peace. And I want to say a prayer for everybody that's listening and uh, wherever you're listening from. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for showing us the way to love you, to love our neighbors. I thank you for putting us in a place in time where when injustice happens, when painful things happen, we are more immediately able to recognize that it's a problem. We're more able to recognize something that's going wrong. Sometimes we take this for granted, but give us your heart, God. Give us your eyes and give us your spirit so that when we see these things happening and we can act, that you'll call us, that you'll show us, that you'll enable us to do the best that we can to serve you in the capacity that we serve others. When you came, you came as a servant, humble and lowly, even though you were the highest of all beings, even though you were the most exalted of all names. Yet you came to wash the feet of fishermen and sinners and thieves so that they would know what it truly meant to serve you by serving each other. Help us to recognize the problems. Help us to recognize the hurts that are around us and help us be able to pick them out, to do something about them, and to please you in the process. We thank you for all that you do for us, God. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. And it's in your Holy Son's name, Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you.